I don't know if there is a faster way to lose the reader's interest than a long list of strange names that we can barely pronounce. You know, when we read the Bible, when we come upon genealogies, this is where our eyes glaze over, isn't it? Because it's really hard to get excited about genealogies. Because genealogy is really only interesting to hardcore history buffs, or if it happens to be your own family's genealogy. As for others, you know, it's, it's really hard, isn't it? It's really, really the last passage uh, to read, to begin a season of celebration and joy. But actually, I think there is a good reason to be excited about this genealogy and to be deeply interested in this genealogy because, I said earlier, only, the only people who are interested and excited about genealogy is that if this is the genealogy of your family. And it seems to me that is exactly what the birth of Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Jesus has adopted us into his family so that this genealogy is actually our genealogy. We are part of this family. And so this morning, I want to look with you just into what kind of family Jesus has adopted us into. And the first thing we are going to see is that we have been adopted into a blessed family. Now, you notice how in verse 1, as the genealogy starts out, we read that this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So of all the names that are mentioned in this genealogy, those three names are the most important. Jesus Christ, David, and son and Abraham. And so our focus is going to be placed on these three names especially. And as we focused on Jesus' relationship to Abraham, we realized that we have been adopted into a blessed family. So you notice how this passage begins with uh, the, the phrase, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. The word for genealogy in Greek is genesis, or if you pronounce this slightly differently, genesis. So the title of this gospel is really the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. And as you know, the Old Covenant has its Old Testament Genesis. And so the Old Testament begins with the book called Genesis. And the New Covenant also begins with its own Genesis, and that's Matthew. And this new Genesis is also a new creation story. And this new creation begins with three sets of 14 names. Actually, if you write down all these names in genealogy and count them, you realize that Matthew is being a little bit creative because there are actually more than 14 names in each generation. And actually, if you are familiar with Old Testament genealogies, uh, Matthew actually skips a few names uh, in order to come up with this 14, 14, 14 arrangement. 
And Matthew's point seems to be that uh, Jesus, he came into this world according to God's detailed and set purpose. And he's telling us that behind Jesus' incarnation stands God, who is sovereign over history, sovereign over time, and sovereign over circumstances. And so that seems to me the point behind Matthew presenting this genealogy in three sets of 14s to let us know that everything that has to do with the birth of Jesus Christ was planned out in detail by the Lord who is sovereign over history, time, and circumstances. And the first part of this genealogy is about Jesus' connection to Abraham. And the reason that's important is because Jesus fulfills God's covenant promises to Abraham. Now, if you remember Genesis chapter 12, that's where God came and made covenant with Abraham and gave this promise to Abraham. God said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And really, one of the main uh, theses, one of the main goals of the entire New Testament is to demonstrate how Jesus is the seed or the offspring of Abraham in whom God's covenant promises to Abraham are fulfilled. And it is for that reason the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel that begins by highlighting Jesus' connection to Abraham, it also ends with the promise and the command that makes us think about God's promise to Abraham. Because Matthew's gospel ends with the great commission, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that's really the answer and the counterpart to God's promise to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And now because of Jesus Christ, blessings come, uh, come to all the families of the earth. And Jesus commands his disciples to go make disciples of all nations. Because Jesus is the promised offspring of Abraham. He's the seed of Abraham. And it is in Jesus God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled. And Jesus gathers all families of the earth, all nations of the earth, and he reconciles them to God and makes them Abraham's heirs. And also think about this, the, the part of the promise where we hear God saying to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And throughout the Old Testament, you see this promise being fulfilled. And one very notable place is the story of Joseph. You remember how while the Pharaoh honored Joseph, and Joseph is in that part of Genesis working as the heir of Abraham. And while Pharaoh honored Joseph, 
Egypt is blessed and Egypt prospers. But when Egypt oppresses the children of Abraham, God curses Egypt. So that's just very one very graphic and notable place where God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled. Uh, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. That is to say, the promise that God made to Abraham is that God will bless those who honor Abraham's heir, and God will oppose those who dishonor Abraham's heir. And this genealogy really functions to point to the ultimate heir of Abraham, Jesus, because God's blessings come to us in Christ or not at all. Those who honor Christ, God will bless. Those who dishonor Christ, God will curse because Jesus is the true seed and the offspring of Abraham. It is in Jesus God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled. And if so, we need to ask, don't we, what is the blessing that come to those who honor Christ? What is the blessing that come to those who look to Jesus Christ? Well, it is actually God's eternal loyalty. The God who moves history. The God who stands as the Lord over time. The God who is sovereign over all circumstances of life. That God is eternally loyal to us in Jesus Christ. And that God moves history, time, and circumstances for our good. To put it differently, that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 8, isn't it? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Nothing. So to be in Jesus Christ means we have been adopted into a blessed family. Secondly, we have been adopted into an enduring kingdom. Notice how verse 1, again, it highlights three names above all names. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we just saw Jesus' connection to Abraham, and now we see Jesus' connection to David. Because the second set of 14 names, the second part of the genealogy is all about Jesus' relationship to David. And that's important because in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised to David, saying, I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, when you first read 2 Samuel chapter 7 and hear the promises that God makes to David, we naturally think that God is talking about one of David's sons. And indeed, we see a very tantalizing glimpse of the promise fulfilled in one of David's sons, Solomon. Because Solomon inherited David's throne and Solomon built a house for God's name. And it seems to track so closely with uh, God's promise to David where he said, 
I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. But that's where the parallel ends, doesn't it? Because it is true, Solomon inherited David's throne, and Solomon did build a house for God's name. But sadly and tragically, once David's kingdom was entrusted to Solomon, it quickly fell apart, and his kingdom and his throne did not endure. That is to say, when we read the second set of 14 names in the second part of the genealogy, this is the section that documents the spectacular rise and the fall of David's kingdom. And that is how it points us towards to Jesus. Just as God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus, so God's promise to David is fulfilled in Jesus. That is why this genealogy begins out by saying Jesus is the son of David. As much as he's the son of Abraham, he's the son of David in whom God establishes an eternal kingdom. Jesus is David's offspring, and his is the kingdom that God promised will endure forever. But what is the point of a kingdom that endures? Because if we really think about it, if if its main feature is that it merely endures forever and no one can challenge it, then it seems to me it has all the attractiveness of a despotic tyranny. So what is most important about Christ's kingdom cannot be merely that it endures forever. You see, the reason we celebrate this eternal kingdom is actually all about the king who reigns over it. You know, when we read this second part of uh, the genealogy, this is the list of the kings, isn't it? David, a man after God's heart. And yet he was a notorious sinner. And his failings were spectacular. Solomon was blessed with wisdom unlike any other man, but at the end of his life, his wisdom turned to folly. And things go rapidly downhill from there, isn't it? That is to say, when we look at the second section of the genealogy and remember the kings of Israel, we realize Even the best kings of Israel were men of hubris. They were full of folly, and they were creatures of lust. And when these kings acted selfishly and sinfully, you know who paid the price? The people. They paid the price. But Jesus the king who reigns over this eternal kingdom. Jesus is the king who gives himself to the uttermost to his people. 
And Jesus is the king who rules with wisdom and righteousness and justice. Justice is the hallmark of his kingship. And what that means is, is that forever, Jesus will rule over us with goodness so that we will never experience miscarriage of justice. We will never suffer the selfishness of a tyrant, and we will never face danger. But under Jesus' just, holy, and righteous reign, forever you and I will be safe. Forever we will be well supplied and forever well cared for. And I think we need to remember this because, you know, we just finished uh, the latest round of elections. And every election cycle, we hear the same message, don't we? Oh, you have to vote for our candidate because he is the only one who can secure a bright future for you and for your children. And if you vote for the wrong candidate, it's nothing less than Armageddon. You know, that's the message every election cycle. Politics is useful, and it's even important. As long as we remember, no man's kingdom will endure. No kingdom on this earth will last. Yes, Christians should be wisely engaged in politics, but doesn't that also tell us if no man's kingdom, no man's state will endure, if we have any sense about us, shouldn't we put, comparatively speaking and proportionally speaking, greater part of our energy and strength and time into the kingdom that endures than the kingdom that is here today and gone tomorrow? And at the very practical level, it challenges us. It is good, it is useful, and maybe it is right to be engaged uh, in politics as long as we remember man's kingdom will not last. And where do you invest the greater part of your passion, your energy, your gifts? Because it is the kingdom of Christ that will endure And Jesus, the righteous king, reigns over it. And nothing that we entrust to him for his kingdom will be wasted. But all that we entrust to his care, all that we submit to him as a a living sacrifice and offering will bear rich and beautiful reward. And that's the family into which we have been adopted We have been adopted because of Abraham into a blessed family, and we have been adopted because of Jesus into that eternal kingdom. Thirdly and finally, a name above all names. A name above all names. Notice that in this genealogy full of names, there is really one name that stands out peerless, and that is, of course, the name of Jesus Christ. And so the, uh, the final section of the genealogy, it really covers the, the glory and the beauty of the name of Jesus Christ. Because it, in this final section of the genealogy, after the deportation to Babylon, to Joseph, the husband of Mary, 
of whom Jesus was born. You realize the names in between these two events. These names range from bit players in the most shameful part of Israel's history to absolute nobodies. This is a dark period in Israel's history. The part of history covered under Abraham, that's the time of promise, hope, looking forward to a bright future. The time period covered under David, it's the, it's the time period of realizing that we are greater sinners than we had ever imagined possible. And the time period covered under the last 14 generations It's when people come to realize that they have nothing. The glory of the past is gone. The kingdom is no more. And this is the time when God's people had nothing to lean on. No independence, no power, no security, no peace. And that is how this third section leads our gaze to Jesus to Jesus as the one who comforts every broken and every weary soul. And how does Jesus do that? Well, we need to remember that God's covenant with Abraham and God's covenant with David were what we call the covenants of grace, meaning God's faithfulness to them was not contingent upon their faithfulness to God. You know, when human beings, when we enter into covenants or contracts with uh, one another, if the other party uh, violates the terms of the covenant or contracts, we walk away, don't we? That's the covenant between human beings. But in God's gracious covenant with his people, his faithfulness does not depend on our faithfulness. His doing what is right and beautiful does not depend upon our doing what is right and beautiful because it is all of grace. And so when Israel violated every promise to God and Israel broke all of God's laws, God did not walk away. He did not forsake them. Rather, He sent Jesus. And God's covenant with us through Jesus Christ It's the covenant of grace, and it's the covenant relationship where mercy reigns. And that is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, because Jesus' birth means grace triumphs over sin. You know, when God sees sinners, To our utter amazement and surprise, when the holy God sees sinners, he is not repulsed by them. Do you remember what Jesus did when he met a leper? Jesus was not repulsed by his leprosy, but he reached out and touched him. And that event was meant to show us that God, when he sees sinners, 
he is not repulsed by them. And when he sees the broken people, he does not cast them out or cast them away. But when he sees the broken people, he mends them. In fact, that is exactly why God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus so that he might be labeled a sinner, so that he might be rejected as a sinner. And the whole reason that Jesus took on human body and human heart is so that he might experience the breaking of his body and his heart. And that's where we see that God does not despise the sinner and the broken, but that he sent his son, that his very son might experience with us and for us the hopelessness, the brokenness, the pain of being broken by sin. Because when God sees the hopeless and when God sees the dejected, he does not pass them by. Who do you suppose Jesus was talking about when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told the parable of a Samaritan who sees a man robbed, left half dead, and he takes the cost of tending to him, caring for him, saving his life. He pays the price. While the religious people, the priests and the Levite, ignored him and walked away, they were repulsed by him. They were turned off by him. This good neighbor had mercy. Fundamentally, that's a picture of who Jesus is towards us. He sees the sinners. He sees those that are broken, and he has compassion. And he embraces them with tenderness. And when Jesus embraces us, we see there is more than darkness. There is more than shame. And there is more than guilt. Because there is grace. And so I end with this, loved ones. Are you ashamed of your failure? Are you trapped in regret and guilt? Are you afraid that you have placed yourself too far out of the reach of God's grace? But you have Jesus Christ. And he is enough. Jesus was born for you. He is Abraham's son. And that means you are blessed forever in Jesus. Jesus was born for you, and he is the son of David. That means you are forever in his loving care. And his name is Jesus. Do you know what that name means? Jesus. It means God will save. And he is also called the Christ, meaning he is the anointed one. God anointed Jesus with his spirit so that he might be for you 
the prophet of good news. He declares to you, your sins are forgiven. And God anointed Jesus with his spirit so that he might be both the priest and the sacrifice. And he offered his body. That through his broken body, through his sacrificed body, your guilt and your shame are washed away. And God anointed Jesus to be the king of grace. You can entrust your souls to him and know that you are in his safe keeping. So Jesus, a name above all names, would you draw near him? And he will make you whole. You are his family. And this is your story. Amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who was born not into a perfect world untouched by sin, but he was born into a broken world, sharing the shame and the burden of broken people, people who are in darkness, people who are in misery. And Jesus, you came into that world and you have redeemed us. And so today we celebrate who you are and we celebrate what you have done for us. And we pray that you would indeed fill our hearts with great joy to know that you, Jesus, you, the eternal Son of God, you were born for us. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.